0: Welcome to Writing It, a podcast by Ed Adams. The Square, episode 10, a novel by Ed Adams. (music) Truck 1 Gali Yassim was thinking back to the first news of the destroyed truck. Most of the conversation was recorded and he was playing it back for the fifth time, trying to find any new meaning in it. Something has happened, said Gali Yassim. We have lost contact with the first truck. The destruction of the truck had been fast. It has created a lot of noise, even more because of the subsequent explosion in mid-air of the attack helicopter. al had used their normal procedures to send the two trucks out by different routes. In practice, al Akhtar had no idea about what had been happening, or that they were down to one consignment. This would change in the next couple of hours, when the truck missed its call-in time. The other truck containing the second consignment was still on its longer journey to London, England. Alaktar's control centre was in the desert along a trail that branched from Egypt 75, which led to Abu Simbel. The makeshift centre included a neglected airstrip. They could land a medium-sized plane, had a helicopter port and also several tin sheds, which could be used to store trucks and other vehicles and armaments. They were also within easy reach of the main Abu Simbel airport, which gave them access to main routes. Al-Aktar devised a safety protocol for the trucks to call in at two-hour intervals to allow an update of their position to be tracked. The next checkpoint time arrived, and the London-bound truck called in and noted that all was okay. There was no message from the other truck, and there was then an attempt to call it directly from the radio masted control system. They left it another 30 minutes, and then tried to call the truck direct. There was no response. They would do this another three times. At the end of that period, they would assume that something had happened to the consignment. Their control centre was already checking the television channels for any reports of trucks being stopped, unusual road conditions, or worse, but there was nothing. Send up the helicopter along the route. We need to know. A few minutes later, the helicopter departed, creating a small swirl of sand as it moved skyward. It covered the first part of the route in a few minutes, and soon radioed back with the news of the wreckage of the truck, but also of an adjacent helicopter wreck and some new air traffic approaching the wreck. They may think they have stopped us, said Mady. Part Two Three Weeks Ago Ashford Ashford, Kent, Channel Tunnel Station It was a stopping point for the white van containing the cases being driven from the dilapidated houses in Hoxton, London. The driver of the van and his passenger had been hired to convey the cases to Ashford, where they would be swapped into a large truck for the rest of their journey. The October rain from London seemed to have swept across the whole of the south of England. "'as Alan drove and Dave sat in the passenger seat. "'They talked to begin with, but then fell silent "'as each were caught in their own thoughts before the drop-off. "'This was an expensive piece of ferrying for their clients, "'but there was always a chance that something would cut up rough "'when they got to the drop-off point. "'They'd been warned not to bring anyone else along "'and had decided that it had little choice but to obey. "'They had worked for the same Arabs before on a couple of smaller deals "'and had found them to be reliable and to always pay without asking questions.' Alan, the driver, and Dave, his passenger, knew that they were moving the cases to another vehicle and drove to the appointed rendezvous. They were punctual and noted a huge, Scania articulated truck already parked in the lay-by behind a black Mercedes with blacked-out win- black windows. Two men with Middle Eastern looks and beards were standing by the cub of the truck. One wore a black T-shirt, the other was in a green jacket. The third man was sitting in the truck's cab, which had Polish number plates on the cab and what looked like Dutch plates on the trailer. Dave jumped from the van into a slightly crunchy road surface in the lay-by. As he looked around, he realised that he didn't know the men who he was being asked to meet. "'Guys, we're here,' called out Dave. "'Who's in charge?' as he looked around. With a whirring sound, a back window in the Mercedes ran down and a third Arabic-looking face peered out. "'Do you have the cases?' he asked." Six cases answered, Dave, everything's here. Let's check, responded the guy in the black T-shirt as he pulled the door of the van open and pulled the first case forward. The second man pulled open a large hold door like a military kit bag. As the first man opened the cases, he handed the envelopes individually to the second man and they counted them into the hold-all. Despite the rain, the envelopes were counted as they were transferred. Six cases with ten envelopes in each. There's only 59, called the Arab with the black T-shirt. Are you sure? said the man in the green jacket. Count them again. The van driver and his passenger looked at each other. they have worked together a long time, and neither of them would double-cross the other. We don't have any other envelopes, said the driver. The three Arabs briefly conferred. There is an envelope missing, repeated the Arab with the black T-shirt. The Arab in the black Mercedes called out something else. The driver and passenger looked at one another, worried now that something bad was about to happen. You have two days, said the black t-shirt. We don't care what has happened, but you will find the missing package. It is essential that we retrieve it. As good faith, we will still give you the money, 50%. You'll get the rest, 10%, when you provide the missing package. Please do not fail. It will be very unpleasant for you and your families. You have 48 hours. We will meet here again at the same time. Do not fail and do not think you can walk away from this commitment. The Arab in the green jacket moved to the trunk of the Mercedes and lifted a briefcase, which he carried to Dave. He briefly flicked it open. You'll find half of the money here, he said, and flipped the two catches of the case to reveal the money. There seemed to be a lot of cash in the briefcase, and Dave briefly flicked through a couple of the stacks and noticed that they all looked like used notes too. Thank you for this first payment, he said, and scooped the case so that he and Alan could move back to the van. He nodded to Alan, who swung back into the passenger seat. They started the engine and pulled back onto the busy road. Dave and Alan had just received £300,000, which was exactly half of the 600000 they had expected. It was still a considerable sum, and they knew it would get very nasty if they tried to argue about the rest. They were really small-time criminals, and the job they had been given was essentially the delivery of the six cases. They had considered this easy money, but were now concerned that things were getting complicated. Dave, do you think that the drunk could have taken an envelope? Alan asked as they thought over what had happened. They'd been professional about counting the envelopes when they'd been given them in the first place and they kept the six cases under watch at all times except briefly when they were transferring them to the hideout in the current van. The only time we didn't have the full set in sight was when we were clearing up at the lockup," said Dave. The envelope is either here or one of those squatters has it, he said, referring to the drunken guy who'd been loitering at the squat. OK, said Dave, we'd better go back to the lockup." Check that we've not done anything stupid and find that guy that probably has. Containment. This time, Alan and Dave took a small car back to Ashford. It would be less conspicuous than the van and also gave them an element of surprise if they needed to make a reconnaissance of the area before meeting the Arabs. They arrived an hour early by the lay-by, but kept driving as if they were heading somewhere else. There were several large trucks parked and a couple of cars, but nothing as conspicuous as the black Mercedes from the last visit. They tried to guess the type of vehicle which would be waiting, but there was nothing obvious like a large SUV. The trucks themselves had been mainly foreign registrations, but this was perfectly normal for an area very close to the Channel Tunnel Europort. They continued to another lay-by, a smaller one with a small snack bar, and here they simply waited until close to the appointed time. Then, with Alan driving, they crossed the road and headed back to the meeting point. As they arrived, they could see a couple of long, articulated lorries and a couple of vans. They pulled in and Dave stood up out of the car. No one looked towards him and he decided to walk up and down the lay-by, ostentatiously banging his arms around his body as if he was cold. This would attract oblique attention and should make it easy for the people he was to exchange with to make contact. There was a noise behind him and he looked around. A motorcyclist on a powerful Honda had just pulled in behind him. The guy on the motorcycle called out, follow me, and revved his engine. Dave ran slowly back to the car and exchanged a few words with Alan. They looked at each other. If this was the meeting, no one had said anything about it being elsewhere. They decided they had really no option but to follow the biker. They didn't think anyone else could have known about the meeting. The biker pulled out onto the road and headed back towards London, the direction they'd originally come from. At the first major junction, the bike pulled off and then headed along a road to the left. They followed him and soon found themselves in a small industrial estate. In the distance, they could see a couple of cars, including a Mercedes, like the one that had met them in the first time. With some relief, they pulled up at a small porter cabin adjacent to where the Mercedes was parked. The motorcyclist dismounted and gestured. Bring it with you, he said. They looked at each other again, and Alan nodded. He had the envelope in a large concealed poacher's pocket of the barber wax jacket he was wearing. They stepped from the car and followed the motorcyclist into the porter cabin. The biker had removed his helmet as he walked towards the porter cabin, and Alan and Dave could see he was Middle Eastern but not any of the people here they had met before. They walked into the porter cabin, which was essentially one large room with some sort of an annex. Inside there were two other people, both seated. Welcome, said the biker. Hand over the item and you are free to go. So why did you bring us here, asked Dave. Containment, said one of the seated men. If you've cooperated, there'll be no problem. If you've not, then we have some privacy. Alan called out. I'm going to reach into my coat to get it. One of the two men seated stood up as Alan said this. Slowly, he said. Alan obeyed and gently took the item from his pocket and placed it on the desk in front of the still-seated man. The biker reached over and picked up the envelope and very gently shook the contents onto the desk. The metallic tube rolled momentarily and then stopped. The three strangers all looked at one another. The biker said, "Okay, you can go. Alan said, Our money, you still owe us half. The vicar responded, you have your lives, go now before we change our minds. Alan and Dave decided that this was probably their safest option and moved towards the door. They had still made £300,000 for a relatively small amount of delivery work. They hurried for the door and jumped back into the car to make their exit. I think we have just been very lucky, said Dave. Back inside the porter cabin, the three occupants watched as Dave and Alan drove away. Well done, Mohammed," said Robert Alton. That was excellent. Now what have we actually retrieved? Mohammed smiled. If it had not been for Karen's discovery the previous day, they would not be this far along with their investigation. And now the extra SI6 men outside of the porter cabin had a tracker bug on Dave and Alan's car so they could track them and pull them in at any time if they needed more information. There was a moment of silence in the porter cabin after Dave and Alan had left. Robert Alton emerged from the back office. So, we've a chemical file full of Lord knows what, he started, and a consignment bound from the Eurolink by truck to the Middle East. We need to intercept the truck and retrieve the contents. In the meantime, we need to get the current sample analysed by a safe chemical facility. I suspect we need to send this to Porton Down, it could have anything inside. At this time, Alton suspected it was something very unpleasant, but didn't know for sure. He could tell by the container that this was not something to be idly opened. "'We should pull in Andy and Dave,' he said, "'looking at the evidence in front of him. "'Andy and Dave were barely two miles from the porter cabin "'when they ran into the roadblock. "'It was a full military situation, "'and they knew better than to try to stop to drive past it. "'A single soldier was asking them to stop, "'but they could see other firepower immediately to the side and behind him. "'What seems to be the problem?' asked Alan. "'Please just step out of the vehicle,' came the reply, "'and put your hands on your head.' "'Both Dave and Alan exited the car,' They were frightened now, and not sure if the soldiers were real or another part of some kind of deception, but the guns looked real enough, so now was not the time to argue. Please step into the van, instructed one of the soldiers. We will need to ask you a few questions. David Allen were transported to the large secure SI6 facility where the Arabs are under detention. They were taken to a different area for cross-examination. The key information required was a description of the vehicle used to transport the other vials, Alan was able to be very helpful here because he had written down the number of the first truckman they'd met. Here's the information, he said, handing over a small notebook. He'd taken several notes during the job, more as an insurance in case anything was to go wrong, but he would not expect things to develop in the way that they had over the last few hours. We do have a truck registration, he said. It's Polish and the number is STO 792 he added. I wrote it down when we transferred the first set of envelopes to the Arabs. And when was that?' asked the interrogator, smiling. "'Look, we're just the drivers. "'This was a well-paid van delivery, that's all,' continued Dave. "'The original job was to get some packets "'from London to Ashford in the van. "'Somehow one went missing and we had to go back for it. "'The first exchange was yesterday. "'We were given 24 hours to put it right, "'so we drove back to London, found the missing package and returned. "'Dave looked earnestly at his interrogator. "'Really, that's all I know.' "'The interrogator looked at Dave.' The room was wide for sound and vision. He said to Dave, and the cameras, ''Okay, I'm going to go outside for a few minutes. Is there anything we can get you?'' ''What, like a coffee or something?'' asked Dave. ''Am I going to be here much longer?'' ''I'm afraid so,'' answered the interrogator. ''Actually, I don't think you'd last very long outside at the moment.'' Dave looked concerned. what about Alan?'' he asked. ''When can I see him?'' The interrogator looked at Dave. ''I'll see if I can get you some coffee,'' he replied outside Robert Alton and Mohammed had already compared the stories from Dave and Alan they were almost word perfect except that Alan didn't know the truck registration small time said Alton and they seemed to be telling the truth Mohammed nodded the truck registration is a lucky breakthrough yes we're on to it replied Alton although they must have done a switch by now either in the tunnel or as soon as they got to France